Snap Studios. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the name your price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Snappers. I am so excited to share this piece with you because this week on Snap, we're going to shine a light on one of my favorite podcasts, Ear Hustle. This show, it crafts stories that come from people incarcerated at San Quentin State Prison. And this time, the team brings us a story that is as painful as it is beautiful. And I urge you, put down whatever it is you're doing. Give this a listen. They call this episode the big no-no. I'm going to stand back and let Team Ear Hustle prove that even if you are confined behind the thick bars of a prison cell, there's one force that can never be contained. Sensitive listeners, please do note, this story deals with explicit content and includes situations of domestic violence. Listener discretion is advised. Snap judgment. If you fall down and get hurt in the prison... It's not going to be good because then the staff has to do what they call a package, which means some paperwork. We'd have to stay late. I might go to the hospital. You know, it's a lot of paperwork. And they don't like doing packages. If you fall down and you die, that's kind of worse because that's a bigger package. But then again, you're not going to be any more trouble to them after that, right? But the worst thing you can possibly do in prison is fall in love with a prisoner. You are now tuned in to San Quentin's Ear Hustle. I'm Erline Woods. I've been incarcerated for 21 years, and I'm currently housed here at San Quentin State Prison in California. I'm Nigel Poor, a visual artist, now podcaster. I've been working with the guys here at San Quentin for about seven years. And together, we're going to take you inside. We say this a lot. But one of the things that makes San Quentin unusual, not just in California, but throughout the country, is that there's a lot of people coming in and out of the prison every day. Visitors on tours. Oh, so many we tours. We get a lot of them. Oh, my God. We even get sports teams passing through, like the Golden State Warriors. What about those twin tennis players? Yeah, the, 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 the something brothers. The something brothers came in, exactly. <laughs> and there's also the entertainers, oh, like yeah. Lecrae, mm-hmm. J. Cole, Common. Oh, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. There's also 3,000 volunteers that uh, come inside this prison on a regular basis. It's amazing. I've heard that number many times. And, you know, E, I've noticed that a vast majority of those volunteers are women. I've noticed that, too. Really? And why do you suppose that, (laughs) Nige? Well, I wish I had an answer, and I've thought about it a lot. I think it's partially because women are more sympathetic in general. But really, I don't know. Well, whatever the case, these volunteers are a big part of the life for the men in blue. Mm -hmm. They get great teachers. Oh, yeah, counselors. Mentors. And, you know, just a regular everyday interaction with people from the outside world. In most prisons, 
you just don't get that. Mm-hmm. And it's got to be an advantage that San Quentin is so close to the Bay Area, right. where really a number of the volunteers come from. But, but, but all of those volunteers in here can make prison officials mm, a little bit nervous. Yes, there's this thing called over familiarity. Wait, that word is so hard to say. <laughs> over familiarity? Yes, pretty much. We're a world with that. <laughs> That's a word we hear a lot in San Quentin. Mm-hmm. Volunteers are not supposed to get too close to guys inside. We may be lovable, Nige, mm-hmm. but it's absolutely verboten to fall in love with us. And by falling in love, I mean maternal love, sisterly love, romantic love, friendly love, any kind of relationship where you want to start telling that person about your personal life, getting advice, hearing about his personal life, that is when you cross the line into overfamiliarity. Allison West, she runs a reentry program here at San Quentin, and one of the things she does as part of that is train and supervise volunteers who help guys get ready for the outside world. Yes, Allison. She's a very important person here, and she has strong feelings about volunteers getting over-familiar with guys in blue. That is when the institution thinks that you're going to start smuggling in things that you shouldn't be bringing in, such as letters, drugs, pornography, the list goes on and on. So, over-familiarity, a big no-no, but E, it still happens. Yes, it does. So I was in, I was in another group and I mean, it was weird. So she sat next to me, uh, you know, it was the only open chair in the room and she sat next to me and I turned to her and I said, Hey, my name's Aaron. It's nice to meet you. You know, what are you doing here? Aaron's serving 25 years to life for murder. He'd already been in prison about 15 years when he came to San Quentin. I mean, before I came to San Quentin, I never saw one volunteer, ever. Like, I didn't even know that was such a thing, right? Aaron didn't want to talk about what kind of group he was attending, Mm -hmm. but he did want to tell us about meeting Lisa. He sure did. She introduced herself, explained why she had started to uh, volunteer here at San Quentin, and... Lisa's not her real name. We're calling her that because Aaron wanted to protect her identity. And I went back to the cell that night, and I didn't... I didn't really think about it. And then I found myself a couple days later thinking, oh, wow, I wonder if she's going to be here next week. So I went next week, and sure enough, there she was. Even though I don't like to generalize about any particular population, I have to generalize that a population in prison is a deprived population. And one of the things that they're deprived of in a very long list of deprivations is female company. And so they're vulnerable, and you have to be strong for all of you. And you have to rise above it and hold them and yourself to a very high standard. That's part of my training. It's nice to talk to a woman, period. I mean, it was a regular volunteer situation where she was just doing her thing. Yes, at first. That was Uh, a long... Interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, at first it, it was. I mean, you know, she... She's, she's a very attractive woman. Uh, one of the problems. The with first the blush system. of overfamiliarity. Mm-hmm. When we were talking, I could see it on his face. 
So this is precisely the situation that prison officials get worried about. People start chatting, they get real comfortable, and all of a sudden certain feelings start to develop, and Erin knew that could cause trouble. Yeah, I mean, she talked to everybody there, right? And then there came a time where it was more me than it was other people, then it was almost exclusively her and I talking during breaks and and after class. And I think that was about the time I, I, you know, I thought to myself, what's not to like, right? I'm good looking, I'm smart, right? Like I'm outgoing, uh, you know, of course, why wouldn't she like me? And I thought, oh shit, like this is, that's my ego taking over. I should, you you know, I should like really slow down and, and be cool. I've gotten into so many things in my life uh, for the wrong reason, right? And I didn't want to get into another thing for the wrong reason. And because I'd been doing so much work on myself at that time, I realized, well, you know, maybe maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm not ready, and let's just go ahead and slow down and, and step back for a minute. And that was the time I decided to leave the group. Lisa noticed... A few weeks later, a guy came over to Aaron and said, Hey, I have a message for you. Where have you been? And I was like, okay, thanks for the message. Well, who was the message from? The message was from her. In my head, I was like, fuck yeah. And then at the same time, I'm like, okay, hold on. Those are all the feelings anybody has when they're falling in love with somebody or they're interested, right? It's this elation and right. Like, yes. So, kind of so which I was sort of questioning, right? Mm-hmm. Because at that time I'd been in prison for for a while, right? A decade and a half at that time, and you know this is my first level two, so all the level fours and the level three, I've done time in adseg and and shoe time, and and like I was really unsure if that was the proper response. So by leaving the group, Aaron basically cut off all communications with Lisa. So I just want to clarify. So for two or three months, you didn't have any contact with her? Yes. You just were percolating, like, what should I do? Wow. Playing hard to get. Yeah. Were we playing no. hard to get? No, I certainly wasn't playing hard to get. <laughs> certainly that wasn't the case. I mean, I would have loved to just been like, yes, I'm never leaving this group ever again. But, you know. Then Aaron got a second message from Lisa. And I decided to go back the following week. She was like talking, you know, she was talking to people over there when I came in. And uh, I was like, I was, I remember I was biting like the inside of my lip, not really hard to like believe, but just biting it enough to keep myself from smiling, right? Because I remember being so happy to see her. Like I was really looking forward to it, right? And I was biting my lip because I didn't want to walk in with this really stupid, shitty smile on my face. Uh, so we started talking, and, you know, then the group starts, and then we're talking more on the break, and, and it just... It's so weird. I, like, I've never... I, it, that was, like, the first time in my life that I had, like, just regular, real, like, natural conversation with someone. Aaron was back in the group, but his delight at being near Lisa again was mixed. That was the first time in my life term that I thought, fuck, like feeling really shitty about not being able to walk out the gate. 
like I never wanted to be out of prison more than I did at that moment. So it sounded like it woke up an emotional side in you. Yeah, absolutely. But it also seems like maybe you felt really seen as, a, as like a human being. Absolutely. You, you know, it, it's, I, I came to prison like I, I was so scared and I was so angry and so depressed. And I thought to myself, okay, uh, a murderer, that's what they want. That's what they're going to get. So for all of that to go away like uh, was, I mean, fantastic and horrible all at the same time. The other thing that you have to think about when you're volunteering and if somebody asks you to break a rule, oh, tell me about your sex life or where you work or whether you're married, etc., is that once you cross that line, if you're caught, the worst thing that could happen to you would be a criminal prosecution, which rarely happens. They'll probably just ban you from the prison for life, and you'll get on with your life. You can go volunteer for the SPCA or for you know the regional parks. You can do whatever you want. Your life is not severely affected. But that person that you've broken those rules with will have their freedom at San Quentin taken away. They'll be put in solitary confinement where they get no yard, few showers, no visits from family, no contact. They get uh, their good time credit taken back so they get out of prison later, and they could get transferred out of the institution. So you may think it's fun or exciting to break those rules, but you're putting that person at grave risk. Uh, one of us said, like, I can't wait to see you next week. And that was like the last sort of word before she had to walk out the gate and I had to walk the opposite direction. So I went back next week. But it'd been, that's a dangerous thing to say to somebody in prison. Yeah. What? I can't wait to see you next week. Yeah, because, I, I mean, if someone hears it and they take it the wrong way, it's all bad. Right, but I, I think for for her and I, it meant it meant more. I know it did for me, and you know we were still going to the same group every week and talking more and talking more and talking more. You couldn't keep going on like that. No, definitely not. And I told her, I said, "Look, I'm going to stop coming to this to this class," and she did not like that at all. And I explained, I said, look, I, I mean, other people are noticing that you and I are spending much more time together. I don't know if outside volunteers are noticing, but everybody that's wearing blue is seeing what's happening. And she's like, yeah, I've noticed it too, but so what? And I explained to her, I said, so what is I get in trouble and you don't ever come back in. And that's not bad for you, but it's really, really bad for me. So she wasn't happy about it. I wasn't happy about it. And she said, uh, well, what else can we do?
There absolutely is a right way. And this is what I tell the girls. I I, I don't want to say that they're not um, homosexual relationships or homosexual attractions, but that has actually never been a problem so far in my program. But it could happen. So I tell the men too, but I focus on the women. And I say... If you fall in love, whatever kind of love that is, uh, platonic, romantic, whatever, but most commonly romantic love, I said, all you have to do once you realize you want to cross that line is quit the program. Take a month off, get on his visiting list, and go have a great relationship. There's so many men in this institution, probably every man, if I were to generalize because of my 18 years here, I've never met one that wasn't worthy of our love. And so if you fall in love, you go fall in love. I will dance at your wedding. I will give you away. If you quit the program and protect the program and protect yourself and protect him, you go live happily ever after, and I will give you every blessing so that's the right way because people are people and you put people together there are going to be some attractions that happen sometimes and if you want to act on it then you just have to do it appropriately Aaron and Lisa decided to do it appropriately they said their goodbyes without knowing when or how they would see each other again I didn't sleep that entire night and I don't, <laughs> I didn't even know her last name. Like we, I mean, she knew my last name. I know it sounds weird, but volunteers and men inside aren't allowed to exchange personal information. So it's not surprising that he never learned her last name. And Aaron went back to the group. Lisa didn't. Getting back in contact was on her. Yep, he was just going to have to wait. I was sitting in the cell, and the guard comes by with some mail, and I don't know if I was expecting mail from anybody at that point. I grabbed it not thinking anything, and I I looked at the name, and I was like, who the fuck is this, right? And I don't know, I don't recognize even the first name. So I open it up. Right. And like there's like this really nice handwriting and a and immediately I knew that it was a woman's writing. The letter was from Lisa, but for some reason she didn't use her real name. <laughs> she, she like put a little heart over the eye in her name, right? Which is like super junior high, like high school stuff that girls do, you know. But you know, I felt I felt fantastic. Aaron wrote her right back, and they started exchanging letters. And then he asked her. Like, hey, is it possible for me to call you? He got a letter back with Lisa's number. But E, it's not just as easy as picking up a phone and calling. 
No. So you have to sign up for a phone slot. And the phone slots are only like 15 minutes long. And you got to figure out like what time of day you're going to call. Right. That, so those are like the pay phones that you see. In those the are the pay phones. And they have a certain service you got to call. And you call collect. And oh, the people got to accept it. Right. And the, I thought the person on the other side has to sign up for some kind of They have to service. set up for this GTL membership. So it's, it's a trip. It's a lot. It's definitely complicated. But they made it work. I mean, with the exception of having to hang up every 15 minutes and call back, I mean, they were phenomenal. I mean, it was really natural, just like before, like talking face to face, right? So then after a few months, uh, I said, hey, what do you think about coming to visit me? Uh, because fuck this, right? Like, uh, no. I am not satisfied with this. I need more. I want more. Um, she was ready, right? She said, absolutely. How do we do this? I sent her a form. She filled out the form. It got approved. And she started coming to visit me. So, E, they did everything by the books. Lisa quit volunteering. She waited before she started to visit. But the visiting room at San Quentin is probably not the ideal place to develop a romantic relationship. Um, I don't know. I mean, for some, maybe it is. Really? Have you developed a romantic relationship But I'm just saying, you get to go out there, and when you first see your visitor, you can hug her, you can put tongue down her throat, you can kiss Uh, on her. That's so romantic. (laughs) You can can fill her up. You can do all that. What do you mean? You're saying your hands are just free roaming? Free roaming like an old school cell phone. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) I mean, you can do that in the beginning of the visit. But during the visit, it's just a conversation, and maybe that might not be ideal for people, Mm -hmm. because you can't do what you want to do. Right. I mean, there's not much privacy. There's no privacy at all. Everything is in the open. And then at the end of the visit, you get to hug, kiss, and say goodbye. So, I mean, it sounds like what you're saying is, under the circumstances, it's the best place you're going to be able, or it's the only place you're going to be able to have some physical contact. Legitimately. Legitimately. Okay. All right. Well, in any case, for Aaron, or really for both of them, it was their only option to meet in person. It felt normal and natural to be with her, but at the same time... That visiting room, I don't give a shit what anybody says. I don't care if people have been visiting out there for 30 fucking years. That is a completely unrealistic, false, inauthentic environment, period. I loved being with her and hated, hated that visiting room. And then, so what happened? What, how did the relationship progress? I don't know who said it first. One of us was like... You know, and I can't remember the exact context, but I would love to take you to this place in the outdoors. It's so beautiful and majestic and peaceful. And, you know, I can't wait to go camping with you. I can't take, wait to take you to this restaurant. And, and then that sort of inevitably just led to us thinking about a future together. Uh, and then we started talking about marriage. And, uh, I mean, I told myself a long time ago that, first of all, I would never get married. But when her and I talked about it, I thought, I can totally do this. I want to do this. That's when we decided to take it to the next level. A year after that first visit, Aaron and Lisa got married. 
We asked him what the wedding was like. I mean, fuck, it was a prison wedding. Um, she looked beautiful. She came in in the most amazing dress I'd ever seen. I mean, you know, I had visiting clothes at that time, like really the nicest pair of clown pants a man could have, you know, with prisoner painted down the front. <laughs> I didn't doubt that that was what I wanted and what she wanted. And I never doubted at that time that that's what we should do. We've talked about this before on Ear Hustle. Some guys, if they're married and they stay disciplinary free, they get to have family visits. And there's a cottage on site where they can be alone with their family for 48 hours. But guys like Aaron with life sentences at that time weren't allowed family visits. So basically, letters, phone calls, and the visiting room was all they had. And we argued. And we made up. And things were great. And we argued and we made up. But there was still some part of me, while still loving her more than anything, that was holding back. I kept telling myself, there's only so much I can give from, from here. And still understanding that, kept going. You know, I, I, I used to tell her, guess what happens when you break down on the freeway? Who you don't call? Me. Right? You hear a weird creaking noise downstairs in the middle of the night. Guess who doesn't get the bat to go downstairs to confront the stranger? Me, right? Like, I can't be there for you. If she's feeling vulnerable emotionally, uh, I think as human beings, it's a natural tendency to, like, pull somebody into your arms, right? And embrace them and, like, touch them in a non-sexual way, but a way to tell them, like, things are going to be okay. You can't do that out there. And that, uh, from either side... That was definitely the most difficult part, I think, for both of us. It ended slowly. I mean, on some level, I saw it coming, even when she didn't. I tried to stop it because I really didn't want it to end. This is a shitty life for anybody, and this relationship has been like amazing and, and magical and, and loving and compassionate and tragic and sad and disappointing and hurtful and, and everything else. So how, how did it end? Uh, I don't even know. I don't know. <laughs> uh, you know, it... <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> I mean, I'm no longer wearing a ring. Our divorce has been final for almost two years. Uh, I go to my <laughs> board of parole hearing in two months, 60 days from today. 
and I don't know what the future holds for that relationship. You know, we still talk on a regular basis, and it's amicable? <laughs> the question mark? I mean, I'm just shooting in the dark. You know. <laughs> Is anything on your chain? What do you mean? Is any emblems on your chain? <laughs> any medallions? <laughs> Uh-huh. Uh huh. How did you know? I'm just gun- oh, I'm just shooting in the dark because he he just hit his chest me. and I heard some shit. So yes, I have my wedding ring around a on a chain around my neck. Erlon, it takes us a while to put a story together for the podcast. All right. Sometimes a couple months. And we recorded Aaron about two months ago. So, yeah, things have changed. Aaron went to the board and was found suitable for parole, which means he's probably going to get out within 150 days. But there's more to it. Just as we were finishing this story, we learned something about Aaron. And we decided we couldn't run this story unless we talked to him again. We'll be back with that conversation after the break. You're listening to Snap Judgment Presents Ear Hustle, the big no-no. Our program continues in just a moment. Stay tuned.